from MPB Think Radio. It's Creature Comforts, the show all about your animals and the animals around you. I'm Java Chapman here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science, and Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. Our guest today is Chris Godwin, Mississippi State Director of U.S. Department of Agricultural Wildlife Services. She is here to let us know how to legally and ethically deal with problems that arise when wildlife gets a little too close for comfort. You can join our conversation this morning by calling one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 or send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. This is Creature Comforts from MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. From MPB Think Radio, it's Creature Comforts, the show all about your animals and animals around you. I'm Java Chapman here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science, and Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. Uh, in studio guest today is Chris Godwin, state director of the USDA Wildlife Services. And she's here to let you know how to legally and ethically deal with problems that arise when wildlife gets a little too close for comfort. You can join our conversation today by calling one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. And just a reminder, if you happen to miss the live broadcast every Thursday at 9 a.m., you can also catch a repeat of Creature Comforts on Saturday mornings at 6 a.m. And uh, just a programming note, my name is Java Chapman, and I'm filling in for Chris, uh, Kevin Farrell this morning. Good morning, guys. How y'all doing? Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. All right. Um, just want to uh, start some things off this morning uh, by welcome my guest, Chris uh, Godwin. I know I'm a, the new guy here, but you've been here several times. And how are you have. doing this morning? I have. I'm good. Thank you for having me. All right. I appreciate you for coming in. And uh, Dr. Major, how's everything over there at the clinic? Staying busy. It's uh, springtime, even though it's not, and uh, a lot of people, <laughs> a lot of things are going on outside, and uh, allergies are cranking up, both for people and pets. And uh, flea season will be here. Actually, we have flea season year round here, but uh, it's going to amp up. And also, the mosquitoes are beginning to really uh, increase. So, there's all kind of things that we could talk about about our pets. All right. And Dr. Hartfield, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing good, doing good. Um, spending a lot of time outside. This early in spring is kind of freaky, but it's also beautiful weather, so I thought I might as well take advantage of it. We may pay for it later, as they say. Huh? Yeah, I always think that uh, if you don't really have a winter, like you're going to get snow in March or something like that. My uh, sister was born in April, and this was, what, 88, 87, and uh, it snowed April 2nd. <laughs> so that's how it's always. We, always. we always look forward to the Easter snap, whenever that might be. Yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, my blueberries are <laughs> all butted out beautifully. It's going to yeah. kill all my blueberries yeah. if we get a light, or well, if we get a normal freeze. Really, it's, I guess you don't even consider it late. So I'm hoping somehow we avoid another freeze. Yeah, hopefully that is what we can do. Um, Chris, um, like I said, I'm, I'm the new guy here, so uh, you could tell me a little bit about uh, what you do with the USDA Wildlife Services and uh, just a little bit about your background. Sure. Um I have been the state director for USDA Wildlife Services now for 17 years. Uh, my background is um, in wildlife. Um, I have degrees in wildlife ecology, wildlife management. And um, as far as the agency goes, we are a uh, federal agency, obviously, under USDA. And we oversee wildlife conflicts um, at a national and a local level, um, depending on you know what what's going on between people and wildlife. So when we're 
uh, with a federal entity that, that works with, with those kinds of situations. We're non-regulatory, so anytime there's a conflict, people kind of have to invite us in. You know, it's not that we come out and just force ourselves. Anytime we see a problem, we've got to be invited in and have permission. Um, but we work with a variety of wildlife um, all across the state, all across the country. And we also work with a lot of wildlife disease issues um, where diseases transfer between people and wildlife. So that's that's kind of our forte. And when you say conflicts, just what, what do you mean with uh, conflicts between like wildlife? Like if we got a snake in the room right now, where would you be? <laughs> <laughs> Probably on this table or something. It's like, yeah, that, that's me. the kind of stuff we're talking about. Yeah, anytime there's a problem, people um, don't understand wildlife. We do a lot of educational work, a lot of workshops, um, those kinds of things, just trying to make people aware of what they can do to prevent problems or to resolve conflicts on their own. Okay, and I know we were talking a little bit before the show, um, I guess, about uh, Canada geese becoming more of a problem uh, now than they have ever been. Correct. Um, We have what's called resident birds that stay here all year long. So about this time of year, the migrants are are on their way out, and then our resident birds um, will actually start nesting if they haven't already. And um, we end up tripling or quadrupling our goose population by June, July with, you know, the hatching. Um, that comes out and that creates a lot of problems, particularly in homeowners associations or anywhere where people have ponds and lakes where there's not, you know, a lot of disturbance. Um, And then those birds during the nesting season get very protective and um, can literally attack people. Um, They get too close to the nest. Is that mostly, um, I guess, um, when you see these conflicts happen is because it's uh, uh, depending on people being there, if they should be or not there, uh, should not be there. It's a uh, abundance of habitat for that for that yeah, animal. For wildlife that wildlife. Is, yeah, very, very adaptable to a lot of our urban type areas. Geese being one of those species that can adapt very readily. Um, I think the other situation that we run into a lot is people don't understand how dangerous some of these animals can be. And so, you know, we have this Disney World mentality where we can go pick everything up and cuddle it and it's going to cuddle us back. And, and that's not the case. And so we, that's where we have to do a lot of public education and making people understand that, you know, this is wildlife. It, it's These are animals that, you know, do not want to be cuddled. They don't understand cuddling like we do. Um, these and, are not your pets. Yeah, these are yeah. not your pets, and there never will be, you know. They just aren't instinctively geared that way. And so we've got to let people know that, you know, these animals um, are going to protect their young, just like you would protect your kids. And, you know, it's not a time to be going around and messing with them. As fun as they are, they're beautiful to watch. Um, but, you know, sometimes we create problems by feeding. We create problems by not, you know, by encouraging these animals to come closer to us. And, and that's where we get into the conflict situation problems. Like a major conflict would be alligators that have moved into your pond. Mm. Now, they might, on their own, they might get aggressive enough that, you're going to feel like you have to do something about it because you got kids swimming in the lake or something. But often the problem is with the person, not with the animal. Chris yeah, and I have talked about so much. Yeah. Because if you start feeding those alligators, then I guarantee you, you will have a conflict problem. So I guess down the, the road. number one rule so, is don't feed the animals. Don't feed the animals. Don't, don't feed the really. animals. Don't cuddle the critters. Don't, Other than you know. bird feeders. We, we yeah, are, I'm we okay with bird, bird feeders. feeders but, you you know, know. but even there's some rules and things that need to be followed with right. that as even well. Even then, you got to so. be careful. Are you can actually, you know, make your birds sick. Yep. Yep. My job is more people management than anything else. You know, (laughs) all of us get into wildlife because we want to deal with the wildlife and and I end up dealing more with people than I do with the critter. So, um, but, and that's, you know, it's, that's part of it. Yeah, and we want to uh, deal with the people this morning. We have um, open phone lines, and you can um, contact us by email, one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can uh, send an email at animals at org if you have any questions or comments for um, uh, our guest, Chris Godwin, or um, any pet questions for Dr. Major. Uh, now, we talked about the uh, Canada geese. Are there any other, I guess you would say, um, nuisance uh, birds or animals? Um? Well, I guess any bird can become a nuisance depending on situation. You know, resident geese, one of the things that we tell folks this time of year especially is to get online with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and register for the egg and nest depredation permit. It's free. It's easy. Um, but a Filling that form out allows, you know, homeowner associations or whatever having problems to be able to go in and um, work with those eggs and nests. And then you don't have that population explosion in May and June 
Um, and, and that'll resolve a lot of problems for folks later in the year. So anybody out there right now that's having issues with that, you know, go to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, Google up resident Canada geese, and it'll bring up all the permit information. It's real easy to do, and it's a real, real easy process. Other birds, you know, we work with the catfish industry um, a lot with fish-eating birds, so cormorants, pelicans, herons, egrets. Um, even some homeowners that have koi ponds a lot of times will have problems with herons coming in and, and getting the fish out of their little koi ponds. So we run into a lot of that. Birds and aircraft um, don't mix, so I work with all the airport managers in the state, um, at least um, trying to help them get their permits um, and giving them some resources to use um, so that we don't have planes going down. Um, due to bird strikes, which is huge in that in that particular industry. Um, yeah, kind of like, uh, I guess, uh, with Sully Sullenberger, Miracle right, Hudson. Right, yeah, Captain Sully and the plane on the Hudson, that, that really brought that problem to light because that plane went down because it struck Canada geese. Oh, um, it was Canada it geese? Was all, yep, those okay. were all Canada geese. So that, I think, um, I forget the number, but there was <laughs> numerous birds involved in that one. So I guess it, that's the ultimate conflict, isn't it, between... <laughs> Wildlife and humans. Yeah, probably so, because, yeah. you know, a lot of people could have died in that. And people have died in, in crashes involving birds and airstrikes. So it's not, not the first, but that one was just so um, big because of what happened in landing the plane in the river. Okay. Yeah. And uh, we have a call on the line. We're going to go to um, Amy at um, Pearl River. Question on uh, bird feeders. Uh, good morning, Amy. How you doing? Um, yes, you mentioned a little earlier there were even rules about bird feeders in um, people's homes, home areas. Could you elaborate? Yeah, and that's not written rules, but one of the things that we really try and tell folks to protect the birds themselves is to make sure they clean their feeders, um, disinfect those things. You know, if you're going to leave them out, you know, it's great. If you start having problems with things like raccoons and squirrels near the house, then limit how much you use those feeders um, to, to discourage those animals from coming in and, and you know, making holes in your, your siding or whatever. Um, so those are things just to be careful of. But the disinfecting of the feeders is a big deal because birds can spread diseases to each other um, using those feeders, and that's what we don't want. Particularly hummingbird. Yeah, your hummingbird feeders sure definitely because that, that yeah. mold and everything yeah. will get in those real quick. So some people find they actually have to pull those feeders down and bring them in at night to mm-hmm. keep raccoons and, that's and a things great from idea. feeding on them. So yep. yeah, just Thank think you. about that. Be be sure that you're you know we want you to enjoy the birds, but be sure you're being fair to the birds too, and feed them the right thing. You know, <laughs> yeah. don't put white bread out there for them. Feed them some good yeah, quality seed. Yeah, get them some seed. quality yeah. seed. You know, it's sunflowers and, and stuff that can provide some protein and things that yeah. they need. Thank you. Uh, thank you for your call, Amy. Um, and also, we do have uh, more phone lines open, one eight seven seven mpb ring one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. 672 I guess we're going to take our first break. And um, if you want to join the conversation, talk to Chris Godwin or um, have a pet question for Dr. Major, give us a ring, one eight seven seven mpb ring one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, 672 7464 or send an email to Back with more Creature Comforts after the break. You know, we could... This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And welcome back uh, to Creature Comforts. Today in studio, we have Chris Godwin, State Director of the U.S. Department of Agricultural Wildlife Services. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, want to know how to keep the raccoons or possums out of your yard, <laughs> call us at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven six seven two seven four six four. 672 7464 or send an email to Uh We got a couple callers on the line, and we're going to go to Richard in Lafayette County. How you doing, Richard? Hello. Are you there, Richard? Yeah, I'm here. Can All right. 
Yeah, go ahead with your question. All right. I'm, I was wondering, I used to have chimney sweeps, you know, flying around in the summertime, and I live off a highway. And I was wondering if the highway department may have sprayed something because they nest in the box covers going under the highway, under the bridges. And I noticed a couple of weeks ago that the pigeons that used to live under a bridge, they're not around anymore either. Mm, those, yeah, they may have been swallows. Yeah, but I'm not yeah. aware of the highway department using any kind of a pesticide that would change something like that. That could be some kind of environmental change maybe within the bridge structure itself. But I, I don't well, know I mean, without maybe, talking to them or, or looking at the situation. Yeah, I mean, the chimney sweeps, they'd come in in the spring. It'd be like two or three of them. They'd raise in the box covert, and there'd be 20 or 30 before the year was out yeah, they, yeah. and it's a little early yeah. for them to come in yet i think we're still a couple of weeks away maybe from them showing up in yeah. big numbers what i generally see are swallows in there but um well, I mean, these are swallows but they're uh-huh. I always called them chimneys yeah 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 in the old chimneys yeah yeah well lots of birds you know that's a some often a good habitat for nesting birds and i've never heard anybody at the highway department say that they minded that Unless yeah. somebody local did something that I, I can't imagine them wanting no, to do No, I mean, that. pigeons will cause some problems with bridges because of the amount of guano that they leave behind, and it makes maintenance really difficult when they've got to start doing mm. some climbing or things like that. It's that slip-trip fall hazard kind of thing. But I, yeah. I'm not aware of, of MDOT, um, like I said, using mm. any kind of a pesticide or anything um, for um, that, was, kind of, that would move that kind of numbers out. You think construction, Richard, do you think they'd recently done any kind of repair on that bridge? No, no. no? They built new ones when they four-lane 278. Uh-huh. I just noticed last year I wasn't seeing the, the Swiss, I guess you'd call them. Well, I hope they come back. I well, do, too. Yeah. They give you an air show every day. Yeah. Yeah, well, we don't think it was MDOT doing it. it yeah, and it, like else, I said, yeah. I think we're a week or two away yeah. from them really showing up in, in, in their, their bigger numbers. So give it a couple of weeks and, and then, you know, see what happens. All right, Richard, um, appreciate you for um, calling us in this morning. We've got a couple of the callers on the line, and uh, I think we're going to go to Charles in Alcorn County. How you doing, Charles? Uh-oh, wait. There we go. <laughs> How you doing, Charles? How you doing? All right. Uh, I had a question. I... We had a little argument at work the other day that there were cougars up in uh, uh, Wayne County in uh, Tennessee, and I actually looked it up on the computer, and I didn't know if there were actually any sightings in Mississippi. I was surprised there were any in Tennessee at all. I just wonder if you heard anything about that. Yeah, actually, yep, <laughs> cougars actually are expanding their range, um, and so there have been sightings um, in Missouri and Arkansas. I, I don't know about the Tennessee one for sure, um, so I'm not aware of any being seen um, <clears throat> recently in Mississippi, unless Libby knows something I don't. No, I'm not, no confirmed sightings. Yeah, but it wouldn't, you know, if we get reports of a big tan cat, we are definitely going to be looking at it um, pretty closely because there are... Like I said, we know the range is starting to expand on some of these, and, and some of these wandering males, um, you know, have been moving through some states and, and caught on trail cameras and such. So, um, not aware of it, but it's not out of the realm of possibility. Keep your eyes open, Charles. All right, thank you for your uh, for your call, Charles. Is the um, I guess the problem with the uh, cougars? I mean, you don't want a big cat like that just in your face. But is it kind of the same as uh, having coyotes um, coming in to your area? You know, cougars were here in the 1800s in, in fairly large numbers, and then they were extirpated due to logging and overhunting and things like that. Um, it's a large cat, it's a large predator, which naturally brings people into that fear factor. But, you know, and a lot of people had the same conceptions about black bear and, and the return of the black bear, um, and that's all gone really well. Um, you know, we start getting cats, you know, showing up. I think probably Fish and Wildlife Service and the State Wildlife Agency will probably start working on some plans and things that can be done and educational programming and things along those lines. Um, I don't think we'll ever see cougars return to Mississippi in the numbers that they were here in the 1850s. 
So okay. Is that, um, I guess, a good thing? Uh, I mean, it is a good thing, but mainly want to protect your pets and uh, kind of vulnerable people in the areas that they are there. Yeah, I mean, and again, that goes back to education on things you do and things you don't do. And, and Libby and I talked about this last night. You know, we were talking about, uh, you know, people that have pets in their yards, especially small cats and dogs and, and hawks and owls, you know, predating on, on backyard pets. Um, and there's things there that, you know, people need to understand that, you know, if you're in an urban area, again, those animals are all able to adapt to those environments. And you need to, you know, just protect your animals, bring them in at night. You know, if you've got to take them out, be with them all the time. Work with the local police department on possibly using some some care, scare tactics like pyrotechnics and things like that where you can shoot those off with permission. Um, you know, but wildlife is going to live with us, you know, and we've got to learn to live with it at times. Yeah, so. I've actually had a close encounter with the, um, I guess it was an owl because it was at night. Mm-hmm. I had um, a, sm- a small, long-haired chihuahua. Yeah. And we used to just let her out and, uh, like, I was going to get her and uh, bring her back inside and it was just, it's like yeah. it was kind of yeah. kind of kind of scary a little bit. She was sure. she, she was shook. She yeah. was scared. Yeah, she, yeah. yeah, she, she was. She perceived the, the mm-hmm. threat. The danger, yeah. yeah. Alright, we're going to go to Charlie and Laurel. Got a um, question on his puppy. How you doing, Charlie? Oh, I'm doing great today. How are y'all? All right. I have this mini pen, and its stomach is swollen. And I was reading research. I mean, it's usually and normally in great shape, but for some reason its, it's stomach has got swollen. And in the pictures, they say they are bad about getting their intestinals crossed, and it's an older puppy. Um, are they tests they can run to see if that's the problem on the intestinal cross? Or absolutely, it could be several different things. So it could be a heart situation. How old is this dog? I'm presuming I've had it about four years. I just give it a home. The people right. didn't do nothing with it, so I just give it a home. And I mean, it's a good puppy. It's just sure. you know, it don't it, it does a lot of digging in the dirt. <laughs> Okay. I mean, this, it digs all the time in the dirt. I mean, that's his favorite thing to do. It's looking, 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 digging the dirt. Right, looking for something. We never know exactly what they're looking for, but anyway, I would definitely get this puppy into uh, into your vet in the area because it could be ascites fluid, which is uh, fluid that uh, accumulates either because of a liver or a heart problem. Uh, if the intestines were uh, tore or uh, had some problem there. Usually, uh, there would be some vomiting in, involved and uh, straining. So, I definitely feel like you need to get this puppy in and have it looked at. X-ray probably would reveal uh, pretty much what this is. So, good luck with it, but do get get the puppy in. All right, then. Thank you very much. You're welcome. All right, thank you for your call, Charlie. Also, if you want to be a part of the conversation, one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464 or send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. When I was um, gathering my notes for uh, today's show, I saw that, um, Chris, you guys deal with the the wildlife diseases, and does that include rabies? It does. Um, I actually have um, a full-time wildlife biologist who is a disease biologist, um, and and currently have him working on feral swine issues. But then we also have our rabies surveillance program which is primarily down along the coast um right now um and so we're looking for um primarily raccoons um that may test positive for rabies because we have rabies real close to us in alabama um but it hasn't kind of seeped over yet and as far as rabies goes in in wildlife we the only animal we know of in mississippi that has it endemically is bats um we haven't been able to find it in anything else we had a case with a kitten couple years ago up in Starkville, but that kitten um, came back with a bat variant um, rate. What you know, type of had, rabies? He had been playing with a bat somewhere. <laughs> very, okay. so, very, you know, they get down on the ground, yeah. and as a kitten, you know, they'll play with anything, and that's one of the things we try and tell people is, you know, don't play with bats. Very interesting that uh, we don't have endemic rabies in general here in Mississippi because uh, I went to Auburn Vet School. They didn't have the vet school uh, at Mississippi State uh, when I was eligible to go anyway there there was rabies quite rampant and in in alabama florida and uh they actually hired vet students to go out and vaccinate uh dogs out in the country Mm -hmm. uh and just to try to quell it there's also rabies in texas and i'm not sure about louisiana louisiana has skunk variant but we're just really blessed if you will that 
we don't have it here, and hopefully it'll stay that way. Yeah, and we don't know why, but yeah. we're, we have a very active surveillance program right. to watch for sure. that, and we work with a lot of different folks on it. But um, the big thing with bats, you know, don't play with one. If it's down on the ground, put something over the top of it, call a wildlife professional, um, let them deal with it. If you if there's any chance you've been bitten, you need to get into your healthcare professional immediately. The big thing about rabies, it's 100% preventable, but it's 100% fatal. Right, and, and this... This excuse me. This is another reason to have active vaccination program with exactly. your kids, uh, simply because of that fact. Yep, yep. But don't play with bats. Don't play with the critters. You know, that's we we tell people that all the time. But bats especially can be very dangerous. The other thing too, if you're you know trying to get them out of a house, you got to be careful of the guano because if you aerosol that stuff, it, it can carry two diseases: psittacosis and histoplasmosis, which are aerosol and. and um, respiratory diseases. Are there any other diseases that can be passed on, I guess, from bats or um, any other uh, wildlife nuisance animals? Oh, we can talk about that for hours. <laughs> <laughs> but specifically, to go to... Yeah, uh, yeah. Dr. Major and I are going to go around and around <laughs> on that. Raccoons. Raccoons yeah. Now, bats, is rabies is the big one that I'm aware of, but the, the other one that we're working with a lot is, is feral swine. And feral swine carry just about everything. Um, so we're working with pseudo-rabies, and it's been positive on a lot of the animals we've tested. Brucellosis is another one. We're finding lepto. We're finding toxoplasmosis. Um, it, they're just nasty. But they're not as fatal as they can rabies. be. Okay, it sure can be. It's not. It's not rabies, but it, they're diseases that you really need to pay attention to. You get sick six months yeah. after playing with pigs. Um, you really need to go look, get looked yeah. at, because some of those incubation periods on some of these diseases can can be several months. We've had people that feed uh, raw feral pig meat to their dogs and stuff and have gotten into some issues and it would go without saying that if you're eating feral pig it better be well cooked yes most of these diseases will cook out but you better be cooking it you know 165 degrees fahrenheit or more you know it's it's got to be well done and that's where your education like you said comes in yes and um let's go ahead and let's take a uh, take another break if you want to jump in on the discussion we have uh chris uh godwin here the mississippi director of u.s Department of Agriculture Wildlife Services. That's a mouthful, but I'm going to get it. And uh, you can join us at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or email us at animals at mpbonline.org. Got a couple calls, and we'll do that after the break. standing member of MPB Think Radio. We appreciate your support of our programs. To become a sustainer, go to mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. back here on Creature Comforts. Uh, today, our in-studio guest is Chris Godwin, State Director of the U.S. Department of Agriculture, Wildlife Services. And um, thankfully, we got a couple calls on the line and we're going to uh, try to run through them. Lincoln in Ocean Springs is up first. Question on birds and poison. How you doing, Lincoln? Uh, yeah, great. Yeah, um, I read an article. Uh, maybe it was the New York Times. I read a bunch of newspapers. Uh, and there's Apparently, the U.S. government has fish and wildlife. They protect the animals. They try to increase the fish population. Then there's another agency that, that uh, I guess, wildlife control or management, uh, and they, they take out, like, if there's too many. And I read in this article that they poisoned, like, like one year they poisoned 30,000 ridge-shoulder blackbirds. And I was like, ridge-shoulder blackbirds are in the lowlands, the wet in the uh, the wet areas, and why would anyone poison thirty thousand red-shouldered black birds? And uh, 
and and some of the other things are kind of egregious of what they're doing, but they kind of they kind of walk they kind of operate with uh, immunity to uh, oversight. You have a question, Lincoln? Yeah, my question is, uh, what what is your uh, guess, you know, view on on that agency and, and poisoning like of a of a songbird? All right, thank you for that, uh, Lincoln. What do you what do you think about that? Uh, well, again, you know, we talk about um, trying to manage wildlife, and there are different methods and, and different things that that need to be used at different times depending on situation. Um, there are times when sometimes the only option is to lethally remove a, an animal because of the problem that it's causing and its danger. Um, to the, the, the public, um, and especially like on airports. You know, when, when you've got too many birds on an airport situation, um, sometimes those animals have to be lethally removed in order to protect the public. Some animals cause diseases, like we're talking about, and if those animals are diseased and can cause issues, um, health concerns to the public, then sometimes the only option that's really out there is, is to remove those animals um, so that, you know, people don't die. Um, and, and that's, you know part of unfortunately what we have to do as wildlife managers at times is make those hard decisions yeah so it's not so much as um just getting rid of the problem but like you say manage right and uh, management you know can be very difficult and and i understand that um you know it's not always easy it's not um always what the public likes to to see happen um but in order to protect the public um sometimes that's the only option that that we have Protect the public and the wildlife. Correct. And uh, now we're going to go to Stacy in uh, Van Cleve and with a question on turtles. Uh, Stacy, I do have a question for you. Where is Van Cleve? Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> um, kind of by Ocean Springs, I guess. Okay. Ocean Springs. Yeah, I know where Van Cleve is. Yeah, I know where it is. Well, good. And I love the show. We saw, it must have been 20 to 40 turtles sitting on logs in Van Cleve. And we stopped to take pictures, and as we're walking up, they start diving off the log. Yeah. Did they know we were coming? I mean, how did they know? Yeah, they know. (laughs) Yeah, if they didn't have really good senses about something walking up, they wouldn't be around for very long because that's when they're very vulnerable to most of their predators. Well, they're vulnerable in the water, too. Yeah, that's just their natural instinct is, you know, if they suspect that there's a threat or feel threatened, they're going to go in the water. So, and, and Well, it just... With all these cars passing by, and then here, you know, two people walking up, and boom. I mean, one by one. They yeah, and that's habituation. Off. That's They're used to the cars going by and realize the car's on a threat. But wow. you're you're walking up to them. That changes the whole dynamic yeah. of that environment yeah. there for that instant. And so they, they say, whoops, we better get out of here. They're, they're well, sensitive. Yeah. Stacy, they're sensitive to your shadow falling mm-hmm. over them, too. If, they, if anybody's okay. shadow got right over there, of course, noise or... Um, Moving the water a little different from what they're expecting, but your shadow they, is a big I, deal they, with them. They've got good eyesight, wow. too. Yeah. Uh, I remember as a kid, you know, trying to slip up on them. You can't do it. Yeah. Uh, they'll, now, whether it's vibration of you walking, but probably eyesight as much as anything. They're yeah. pretty sharp. Or a combination, yeah. Yeah, well, they're smarter than I give them credit for. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for your call, Stacy. And we're gonna um, stay on the phone lines and go to Mobile and uh, Darlene. How you doing, Darlene? Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, I have a question for the vet. Oh yes, ma'am. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Anyway, uh, I want to get a, a fence for the front yard. How are these invincible, um, invisible fences? Are they? Do they work? They actually work. The only fallacy I see with the invisible fence is they don't keep animals out. Mm-hmm. So if your dogs are trained to that, they're they're not going to go out. And, and I, in my neighborhood, I see several where the you know the dogs sitting out in the yard perfectly fine, and I know they've got an invisible fence, and this dog is not going to cross it because he's yeah. a little shock. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't keep anything out, so that's something you have to consider. Oh gosh, yeah. I hadn't thought about that. Okay. Well, ours doesn't seem to. Uh, he doesn't seem to. Uh, watch the traffic. I take him for a walk every afternoon, and I take him some dog treats. And b- as a car is coming, fixing to come down our street, I t- pull him off the side. I have him off the side anyway, but I tell him there is a uh, car coming, and for him, and I grab an extra hold on his leash and I hold on to him, and 
But sometimes he just kind of turns around like he wants to dart out to the car. And he's two years old. I don't understand this. And also, I give him a treat as soon as the car passes by. So he knows he's going to get a treat. Well, he's he's not road savvy, and he sure wouldn't be good to have him out uh, loose, you know, okay. off off leash. So, consider that. But yes, it would it does in most cases they really respond to it. I have seen some dogs that can override it and just leave the yard, yeah. but uh, most of the dogs do respond to that. How about a shock collar? Well, it's, they have a tiny uh, electrical impulse on the collar that they have for the fence. So when he gets close to the uh, wire or to the transmitter, he's going to be shocked. Mm-hmm. Now, shock collars used judiciously may work, but uh, I, I would say don't try it on your son or anybody like that. <laughs> okay. Yeah, thank you for your call, Darlene. Um, hope everything works out with those fans. I've seen those uh, videos where people have tried the, the pet collar, and it gives a pretty right. pretty good shock. But that's, that's, that's a man thing. Guys will dare one another to put their shock collar on and see how much they can stand. So I would not advise that. All right, let's go to uh, William in Starkville. Thinks he wants to um, come in on the, the Chimney Swift. How are you doing, William? Am I on? Yes, sir, you are on. Uh, I was going to comment, uh, uh, actually it's been a second comment about birds, that to to those listeners that maybe you should could check with the Audubon Society headquarters. Uh, I think they're easy, I know they're easy to find on the the Internet and ask those questions. Uh, I was uh, alarmed at uh, at the the thought that... uh, that, uh, there's poisoning of red-winged blackbirds. I can't imagine uh, uh, the circumstances, except if they were part of a of a huge group of uh, of blackbirds that congregate in the winter that they sometimes uh, destroy because of their their uh, proximity to to uh, uh, subdivisions and things like that. Yeah, I, I, I well, I think about that story. too, William. Yeah, yeah and, and and I'll be on. You know, some of that work is done for the agriculture industry, sunflowers, um, probably up in in the Dakotas. So I don't know of any of it here in Mississippi. Yeah, I, I was trying to make a comment though about the uh, chimney swifts. <laughs> I have noticed here in Starkville that there that there are no longer crowds of chimney swifts uh, downtown uh, in the. Uh, summer evenings and my hunch is that uh, that since we don't use uh, often don't use uh, uh, chimneys much anymore that they may have either capped off all the chimneys but i'm curious again ottoman society might have an answer are the chimney swifts just disappearing and there's no question that they that they seem to uh in my experience uh just there just aren't any anymore here and i have noticed them one time in europe in great profusion uh, a few years ago on a trip, but anyway, I just thought I'd make that that, that comment. Uh, what what has caused? Is there some other reason? And it'd be interesting to find out uh, uh, why. Um, but <clears throat> thank you for for the moment. Thank, thank you. you, William. And we do have um, some Audubon guests that'll on the calendar for the coming up week. So that would be a good thing to talk about chimney swifts, definitely. And um, you know, red-winged blackbirds are great birds to watch, and um, they are very abundant. And I certainly don't know of anybody that's <clears throat> been harming uh, red-winged blackbirds in the state of Mississippi. No, but, but I would say that you know, places, there's yeah. other places where they cause a lot of damage to agricultural. Um, and like I said, the sunflower industry in the, in the Dakotas, um, I would imagine, is, is one of those places. Possibly rice in Louisiana is another place where you know, there may be some issues. Now, um, I know before earlier we were talking about uh, feral hog control. Is that a big thing with agriculture? Yeah, that's probably our top damaging agent in Mississippi right now to agriculture. If I, you know, looking at everything out there, um, feral swine are horrendous at um, a lot of our ag producers who put in corn. Um, you know, the pigs will come down the rows that very night and pull all those seeds out and, and literally 
I've seen it anywhere from 40 to 100 acres just Peanut. totally destroyed. Peanuts, Peanuts is a huge one. Yeah, Peanuts is another one. Rice, they'll damage the levees, um, just tear those things up, and, and um, rice producers have a hard time with them. Um, and then, again, when stuff is about ready to be harvested, we see pigs going in. They, they just seem to know kind of when <laughs> when those farmers are getting ready to go in and beat them to it. So um, just unbelievable. I've never seen an animal that can cause the amount of damage to the variety of, of resources out there like a pig can. Right, and they they really are very damaging to uh, nesting birds, turkeys, yeah. uh, other things, and also to uh, young animals like fawns. They're a forest vacuum cleaner. I mean, I, I honestly believe that they can eat everything that's out there. It's your your salamanders, your snakes, your fawns. Um, you know, one of the numbers we throw out is is the mast crop, um, where an adult hog can probably consume up to five pounds of acorns a day. And so that's acorns that aren't out there for your deer, your turkey, your squirrel, our native wildlife. And, and pigs are not native. Um, so uh, along with the disease factor, the damage factor, the com- competition with our own natural resources that we, we're trying to protect, um, they're, they're a devastating animal to the landscape. So are, they, are there any deterrents or anything a um, landowner can do about feral swine or just contact you guys? Well, first thing, if you don't have them, say thank you, Lord. <laughs> if, if you the, the time, you know, as soon as you see that you've got them, you really need to start, you know, a trapping and removal program as soon as you start seeing them show up. And, and for those that are already inundated with them, that's really the only tools out there that we've got is, is trapping and, and shooting. Um, the Department of Wildlife, Fisheries and Parks has been really good about opening up kind of a, a an open season on feral swine. So I would suggest folks, you know, work through those regulations to, to know what they can do on their property. Um, we can certainly consult with them. I have a, a, a feral swine coordinator um, who works directly for me, along with a, a, a complete staff of folks that work with um, folks with feral swine issues, as does Wildlife Fisheries and Parks Extension Service. Um, there's a lot of resources out there for folks to use. Okay. Is this, um, I, I forgive my ignorance, the same thing as just a wild hog or feral swine? Yes. Yeah, we call them all different names. It's feral swine, wild hog, um, wild pig. Um, it's all the same animal. But it's not native wildlife. No, they there are not native. There are no native wild no. hogs. Like in the southwest, there's the peccaries and things that are native, but they these are not okay. those animals. Uh, it looks like we got another caller on the line. Bill, I do thank you for holding out there in Greenwood. Um, how you doing, Bill? Oh, I'm doing fine. Uh, here in town, we have an old post office. It's probably about 100 years old. When we, and uh, every night, must be about 1,000 uh, I guess there's swallows, some sort of bird that, that flies all around the post office area, and they continually fly into the chimney up at the top of the that three-story building. Uh, I don't know what kind of birds they are, but in the mother comment, I don't really agree with the lady on there because there's a wildlife manager came here a couple of years ago to kill the blackbird. People were complaining about the blackbirds, and they not only killed thousands of red wing, but they killed thousands of cardinals and blue jays and doves and everything. And we don't have many songbirds here no more. They just definitely have recovered. Wow. All right. I appreciate your comment, um, yeah. Bill, out there in Greenwood. You got a comment on that, Chris? I'm not aware of it. I mean, I've been state director for USDA for 17 years, and we, we have not done any kind of lethal control work on any of those kind of birds that I'm aware of. So... You know, I don't know what it would be. Do you know who that could have been? Oh, I think a caller just hung Yeah, he hung up. I want to. Um, I think he said um, somebody, <laughs> wildlife fishery guy. Yeah, he can <laughs> so, call back if he yeah. knows more details about yeah, it. Yeah, which department yeah. it was. Yeah. Okay. All right, let's um, shoot out to Lynn uh, before we go to break out there. And Laurel with coming on the pigs. How you doing, Lynn? Yes, thank you. Uh, I was... I have a comment about the feral pigs. Um, I had a friend who. Wanted- I'm sorry, Lee. Your phone's kind of uh, kind of breaking up. Um, and, and if you want to send us um, an email, that may be better for you. Animals at mpbonline.org. But we're going to go ahead and take our uh, final break here with uh, Chris Godwin, Mississippi Director of the U.S. Department of Agriculture Wildlife Services. You want to join the conversation? One eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or send an email animals at mpbonline.org. Um, we'll talk more after the break.
It's the new administration's first 100 days, and the news is coming fast. Protesters arrived here. Keystone XL pipeline. The Affordable Care Act. Refugee admissions for 100. All things considered, we'll be here to help you make sense of it all. Listen every day. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. We're back on MPB Think Radio. This is Creature Comforts, and today we have uh, Chris Godwin, Director of U.S. Department of Agriculture Wildlife Services. Also, Dr. Troy Major and Doctor. Is it Dr. Libby Harfield? No, I'm not. Why I'm not? Doctor. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't. I got my master's, but not my PhD. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. I didn't go to doctor. school as long as Troy did. I'm not that smart. <laughs> but you don't. Oh, oh, come on, no, 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 no. Don't go there. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go back uh, to the phone lines. We got uh, Buford and Ripley want to talk to us this morning. How you doing, Buford? Pretty good. How you doing, sir? Oh, we're doing fine. Uh, go ahead with your, um, you got a squirrel situation? Yeah, what I got is, I got uh, several uh, oak trees around our house and, and uh, in acres and all this. And I had squirrels, squirrels uh, all these years. And now, they, now they've done started doing damage to They got in under my pickup and threw the gas line had a pinhole in it, so one of it didn't burn the truck up. Now I'm fixing to start have a war on them squirrels, and I just want to watch kind of chemicals. Only way I know to get rid of them is some type of, type of chemical uh, to get rid of them. Uh, what do y'all think about it? Yeah, yeah there's... There's no registered pesticide you can use on squirrels that I'm aware of. Your your only option, you still have squirrel season, uh, is in until the 28th of February. Uh, so shotgun or 22 um, is about the only option you've got. There's some trapping methods that, that may also work. But, again, after squirrel season's over, um, then you're going to have to um, work with the Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks, uh, you probably. Need, you need a large rat snake. Is well, what you yeah, need. a rat snake well, would be awesome. Mm-hmm. Also, a couple of Jack Russell Terriers would mm-hmm. be yeah. excellent. Yep. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, and I, and I sympathize with the chewing yeah. stuff because yeah. I've had that happen will. Um, before, too, and it's it's not fun damage to deal with. But um, you, if you've got oak trees, you're going to have squirrels. There's not much you can do about that, and I'm not recommending cutting those trees um, by any means, but um, and it may just be a high population squirrel year too. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but rat snakes will visit those nests and mm-hmm. the squirrel nests. That's they're good to have. Well, yeah, we feel for you, Buford, and um, you still got to the twenty eighth if you you know if you're a good shot. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I see uh, that. Um, let's see for nuisance animals in Mississippi, squirrels are not listed, but you have the beaver, coyote, uh, the fox, river rat, skunk, and wild hawks. Ooh, I wouldn't put a fox on that list, nah, would you? I can't remember. The, the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks actually has a, a official nuisance animal list. And that's where, yeah, I got it from. Okay. I may, I may yeah, be mistaken, I, I may be may mistaken be with there. the fox. Yeah, they may be yeah. on there. I don't know. Um, but those species you can take um, all year long with a method that is legal at that particular time on private land only. You have to be the landowner, I believe. Um, and then other species you would need to go for to them for a permit to remove outside um, of the hunting designated hunting seasons. And I don't know if this uh, next animal should be on there, but Shelly and Flora uh, has a question about bats, which is um, pretty, pretty fairly common yeah. here in Mississippi. How you doing, Shelly? Good morning. Doing well. Just had a quick question. We have a we started out with a couple of bats in our barn, and now we have a lot of bats, and they're up in the rafters. They don't bother us. Uh, you know, they're Guano is kind of nasty, but we just clean it up. Uh, How dangerous is that? You're probably fine if they're in an open situation like a barn. Um, You know, the guano is already dried and aerosoled out because it's in the open. So that if you're going to clean it, you may just want to put a face mask on. Um, But having the bats in there probably is helping you with um, mosquitoes and other types of insects, depending on what species of bat it is, you know, around that barn area, which is actually a good thing. So, um you know, just if you find one on the ground um, that's possibly ill or sick, I wouldn't um, be picking it up or anything like that. But outside of that, you know, I don't think you've got a major issue going on there. I, you know, if it was me, I think it'd be kind of cool. Yeah, I would yeah, say we, thank you, Shelly, for, yeah. for watch your bats and enjoy them and let them eat mosquitoes. Yeah, we do. We let them, and they, and they grow. Their population grows. But we do every now and then find them in, like, in a water bucket. Yeah, and that's... On the ground. Yeah, so don't... Do dispose of them. Um, 
you can transfer them into uh, a container and move them somewhere else if they're dead. You know, I, I would just kind of bury them or, or double bag them in a garbage bag and, and dispose of them as long as nobody's been exposed to to those okay. animals, you know, chance of getting bitten. Yeah, don't let your dogs chew yeah, on them. Yeah, don't anything. let the animals chew on them either. You know, cats. make sure your pets are cats. vaccinated. Yeah, cats are the worst because they, they have the curiosity and they're going to, if yeah. it's fluttering, they're going right. to bat at it. So. We get our dogs vaccinated. We even get our horses vaccinated. But with the dogs, it's every three years, right? Uh, Initially, uh, the first shot, and then the second year, do it, and then you get a three-year vaccine after that. So they need two two up front uh, yearly. We we used to do it every year. Right. Then they switched it to every three years, so we're good with that. And then we do our horses, so the only people we don't vaccinate are the humans. (laughs) Yeah, and there's no need to unless you, you know, had a chance of getting bitten. And then, like I said, get into your healthcare professional and get that post-exposure series going, so... All right. Thank you, Shelly, for the call. And um, I do thank Chris for coming in today and uh, letting us know about wildlife services. Dr. Libby, Dr. Troy, it's been a pleasure. I'm filling in for Kevin, and I'm so excited. (laughs) You did a great job, John. We missed Kevin, but we're glad to have you. All right. This has been Creature Conference, a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio. And uh, funding has been provided in part by our new underwriter, Wildlife Mississippi Statewide Organization, celebrating its 20-year of conserving Mississippi lands, waters, and wildlife. Also, contributors contributions from listeners like you. I want to say thank you to our guest today, Chris Godwin, and uh, stay tuned for our show coming up next, MPB Season Pass with Jay White. And, and tune I've- in. If I've got one minute, I'm going to say, in this beautiful weather, be sure and get outside. I'm recommending Sky Lake this week. Up okay. around Bell's only. Yeah, I, I wanted to say I like following you on Facebook because you give such, you told me about <laughs> looking at Venus one night and everything. It was good. And then you go see Titanoboa. Oh, that's true. And the Titanoboa at the Museum of Natural Science. Mm. There we go. All right. This has been Creature Conference right here on MPB Think Radio. <laughs> 